Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have a fantastic chat with Brian Miner for you to enjoy. We're talking about his 2017 prep, and this is a bit of an extension of the chat that we've had about being ready too early, where Brian was effectively ready early, but that led to a better physique overall, and we talk about a metabolic building phase that he used during this prep to look his absolute best. As always, guys, really enjoy this episode. And as a reminder, we do have our own contest prep ebook that we did along with the guys at JPS. And this does cover this phase and a lot of the things that we're talking about here. So if you want a deeper dive into it, I would highly recommend checking that out too. But without further ado, let's get into this chat because it was a great one. Enjoy. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have Brian Miner back on the show. I think Brian was last on for a refeed roundtable, and this time we're talking more bodybuilding stuff, and Ryan, uh, Brian is a natural pro bodybuilder, very, very good one at that, and uh, we're actually going to be discussing something that actually happened in your, his last prep, and that was related to the topic that we covered with Andrew Chappelle and Alberto Nunez about being kind of ready too early, or as Alberto Nunez was talking about it, like he sees this as the new way that people are going to be peaking. And it kind of comes back to, I think, Dr. Joe and where he was kind of taking people through this metabolic building phase where people are already kind of essentially stage ready and then you're kind of eating them up into shows almost. And this is something Brian has experienced with personally. And uh, actually, I think it was Alberto reached out to me after we recorded that podcast and sent me the the post of Brian's where he had kind of a before and after of the metabolic building phase. And I was like, oh, I've actually liked it and commented on it. So I, it was a while ago. And I was like, oh, this is a really good, like, for me, a memory of what, what yeah. Brian has done. And so that's what led me to want to bring Brian on to kind of discuss it a little bit further. Because I think this is one of those things. It's like kind of minutia, but I think this was also quite an important topic because I think some people get to this position and they're almost lost and they don't have the tools of how to get out of it or to make the most out of this situation. And then, I mean, some people never get there because they don't quite hit the mark or don't get lean enough, which is also another topic in its own right. But I thought it'll be just great to dig into Brian's brain of how you went about it, how you got into it, what was your process behind it. So I don't know if you want to start off with like how you started your prep, because I guess you probably somewhat planned to do this because you are an experienced competitor which must help a ton yeah um you know having birdo you know nearby is like a a sounding board to kind of help was uh yeah that was super advantageous because i think anybody who's prepping like the, the easy thing to do is to like press the gas pedal harder in times where you should probably back off and so that he was he was a good voice of reason there um, but you know, one thing that I think, you know, the guys at 3DMJ have really done a great job of is, you know, getting people to plan further in advance for these preps. And, you know, I think part of that sort of weeds out the people that may not want to go down this hole in terms of a contest prep, because it is, it's not something that, I mean, you, you see guys and, you know, gals at the high level, highest level, like this isn't something they decided to do like, okay, I'm, you know, 12 weeks out, like, I think I want to do a show, you know, and they end up, you know, on the pro stage in ridiculous shape. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some exceptions to that. But for the most part, I think um, the message of, of planning well in advance 
is um, something that has benefited the community substantially. And uh, so for for me, um, I had, I think in the last off season, so just to kind of give some idea, like I competed in 2017, my last prep, which it's been a while. Um, I competed, I think, some anywhere between like 177 and 180, depending on, you know, the show. Um, so mid to high 170s. And, you know, I had taken a five year off season. Um, so it, it was a substantial amount of time. And I think my peak off season weight was right around like 217, maybe. Um, so like I, I got up there, I think, I'm actually curious if I crunch the numbers here percentage-wise just to uh, um, so yeah I was like 18 percent about you know above stage weight and and I think for extended off seasons I mean for me that's you know it, it was a nice balance like I could perform well in the gym you know I was getting stronger I was competing in powerlifting at the time um, and and so it was uh, yeah a nice sort of pocket to be in in terms of you know, weight range. And I would kind of, you know, cut up and down between like, you know, 12, you know, 15% over back up to 18, kind of rinse and repeat with, with mini cuts. And I was competing like in the 93 kilo class, which is like 205 pounds. So, um, you know, in order to make weight for that, I would need to get down to about like 210, 212, and then like manipulate water, you know, just water load and make weight. So, um, I was training for the majority of the season, you know, once I kind of came out of the previous prep, like above my competing weight for powerlifting as well. Um, but point being is I decided, right. um, like I, I had done the Arnold classic a few times in that time period. Um, the powerlifting meet they had there and I, competed the 93 kilos there, but heading into 2017. So like my, my initial stages of fat loss actually started in, um, I think it was late 2016. So I, I went down basically cut from, you know, the mid teens and, you know, 215, 217 down to about 10% over stage weight. So for me, that was like, mid 190s you know like it was um like knowing like the the primary goal like i qualified for the arnold but you know like i i wasn't like a threat to win any you know powerlifting meet there and so i i wanted to get that experience you know see how i could do competing a little bit lighter but you know compromising some of that strength knowing that like i was competing light in that weight class and so um but the plan was to the arnold was in march so i basically I think around like November, I started dieting, got down to around 195, I think in um, like late January, maybe. And then I had like a about a month, six weeks or so to take a diet break, bring food back up. Um, it may have actually been a little bit longer than that. Um, but basically just chilled at like 195 for a while and then competed in the Arnold and then did basically started prep right around like formal prep if we want to call it that yeah. like the the main stretch um about 10 percent over and that's something that um you know i know 3dmj has been a big proponent of is 
you know, kind of breaking it into phases like this pre prep fat loss. And I think that, you know, ultimately it all kind of starts looking like that if you get in shape anyway, you know, cause like you could go one shot from, you know, 220 or 215 all the way down, but you know, chances are, you know, most people will, I think in, in practice have some, you know, a vacation in there, you know, something that right. sort of disturbs the fat loss process. <laughs> like few people have like eight months to just dedicate to, you know, dieting um, or 10 months. And so breaking up the deficit, I think naturally sort of happens to some extent anyway. Um, but, you know, sort of, I think that that diet break sort of more than anything, you know, before holding at that 195, just kind of recharged me mentally, you know, and I think that was the biggest benefit. Um, you know, perhaps there was some subtle metabolic upregulation at that point, but at that point, like I wasn't like extremely lean, like I was still yeah. 10% over, you know, so it was, um, you know, I think the effects of that was more just recharging willpower for the push that was ahead. And so, um, so at that point, then we started prep or I started prep, like, I think it was mid March. It's when the Arnold was, if I remember correctly. And then my first show was in September. Um, so it, you know, during that time, I think I had one or two diet breaks. Cause I, I, <laughs> I get, um, I get a lot of inquiries for people sort of wanting to do this. And this is like one of the the worst decisions I've made as an athlete. Like it, one of the things I want to do is compete as an 83 kilo in a powerlifting meet. And so it was on the way down, I competed and I was like a light 83 at that point. And I think it was in July. Um, I think I was like one, like, I think I was like 181 or something like that. And it was, it was rough. <laughs> it was a tough tough experience um looked cool like you know it looked it was it was cool in that regard but you know there there's no um you know unless you're a genetic freak like your your strength is not going to be what yeah. it is and i i knew that going in but it was uh yeah it was a unique experience doing that but um basically i, I did a diet break i think for like a few weeks heading into that and then right. you know went back into it so um, you know, heading into that first show, just to kind of, you know, all of that was sort of leading up to this discussion of being ready early, like I gave myself, you know, plenty of time to, to lose that last 10%. And I think psychologically, that was huge, like that, that was one of the, the best things that I could have done for myself. And I mean, it was my third season competing. And you know, certainly in my first season, the idea, you know, I, I think the argument, like, should this be a message promoted to, you know, first time competitors being ready early, like, and it, and it does take, you know, getting truly peeled that early, like it, it takes a certain type of athlete, you know, like a, a certain level of experience to, um, you know, be comfortable going to that point. And, and I think that's, you know, most people acknowledge that, but um, I think one thing for first time competitors, you know, getting ready early is going to, I think the stress of feeling like you're behind is like that, that I think is just as detrimental to the physique as any argument that could be made that like, okay, you're, you know, holding this is going to, you know, you're going to lose muscle mass. It's like, okay, well, you're still, 
even if you do, which you shouldn't, if you're, you know, you shouldn't lose much, if any, if you're, you know, managing your nutrition and your training properly. But, um, you know, just having that looming deadline in the back of your mind when you are a first time competitor and it's like you, you know, are you in the back of your mind, like objectively, you, you may know that you're a little bit behind schedule like that just it makes you not want to do it again. You know, like I think yeah. it turns a lot of people off. It's like, I don't want to put that pressure on myself. Um, and for me, like for, especially first time competitors, like they tend to, you know, grossly underestimate the amount of time it's going to take them to, to get in contest shape. And so like, I, I remember I, I did an NPC show, my first, um, my first ever prep, just there's like an NPC quote unquote natural show. Um, they had like a polygraph machine that I'm not sure it was even plugged in. So <laughs> it was, it was uh, yeah. So there was, um, you know, I, I competed at it naturally, but it was a NPC show with the NPC weight classes. And I, that prep I started, I mean, I like perma bulked up to that point, you know, in my career. So I think I started that prep at like 235. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, I might be able to like squeeze into the light heavyweight class. It's like 198, you know, it's like I get to 198 and I'm like looking like, okay, this is clearly, you know, an eye opener. So I had to, you know, keep pushing. I think I competed at 183 with still about, you know, 10 pounds I could have lost. So, um, so that, that was like, at the end of the day, it was a rewarding experience, but it was like an eye opener, like, okay, planning, like a lot of people have the kind of that, that grit to get peeled. They just run out of runway. And I yeah. think that's, that's the, um, that's the, the biggest thing that, and I like that the guys like at 3DMJ are really promoting like, okay, it's better to give yourself a little bit more time than you may need, than go right up to and try to just, you know, land perfectly on that date. Like I think it, for a lot of people psychologically, that can be pretty challenging. Yeah, for sure. So. I think you did a great job of at least uh, outlining to people the importance of setting yourself up for success in terms mm -hmm. of not having, I have like, I mean, you can do it like you said, you can have, you can start 20% plus above the stage weight you're going to have to get to, but that process is going to be quite a bit more painful than if you're a bit closer to the target. You also be able to predict mm -hmm. your stage weight a bit better if you're a bit closer and then kind of holding there for a little period of time, like you said, even psychologically, uh, enough times I hear that a lot of these things are just psychological. I'm like, well, psychological and physiological are kind of very hard to separate anyway. So mm -hmm. I think if it's helping the psychology, there's got to be something physiological that's benefiting from that too. So yeah. I, I really like that. And then in terms of kind of obviously you, we talked about, it's that process of if you are ready early, I can see why people get stressed because they're like, well, I've got like all the condition I need. I'm in this position. What do I do with my like food, nutrition? And I guess the first thing I'd ask is what what is the look? Because we're talking about kind of the metabolic building phase. How do you decide when you do that? Like when is when are you thinking you're peeled enough? Because I think a lot of people probably get to a point where they just they, they just keep digging because it's like mm -hmm. there's always more to lose. That's kind of I don't know that that feels like a phrase that's thrown around and uh, yeah. I think people kind of think that way and i think with your photos where you had them side by side it was clear it was like well you're eating more you're doing less but you look leaner <laughs> and it's kind mm -hmm. of like <laughs> like what's yeah. happening yeah. there so um, i'd love to hear how you 
kind of decipher that for an individual? So that that is a really good question. Um, and something that admittedly, you know, especially at the time, like in the position is the athlete, it, it is a hard thing to do. You know, if you're self-coached, it's a very hard thing to, you know, pull the trigger on is, you know, you, you are pushing for condition, adding food and pulling back on activity. It just sounds so counterintuitive, you know? So, um, you know, I, I did, I, I leaned a lot on, on Bert in that situation. You know, he's got a, you know, quite a bit of experience with this type of scenario. Um, you know, especially now, you know, four years later, you know, there's, there's been more opportunity to gather data there, but, um, you know, in terms of things to look for, I think, you know, I was chronically flat, you know, I was, um, not that that's, you know, you can be flat and still have fat to lose, but, yeah. um, it's almost like, and I think Lyle McDonald actually, in one of his, his books is sort of talks about this a little bit, like, um, like when you pinch subcutaneous fat, it almost feels like there's almost like granular, like it, it feels different than when it's just watery, you know, um, like there's actual tissue under there rather than just like squishy. Right. <laughs> so that, that's like the best way I can kind of describe it. And like, if you, you know, grab, um, I mean, not you right now, cause you're already very lean, but like <laughs> if you're in the off season and you, you know, pinch your midsection, like that you can tell what's body fat, you know, versus if you pinch like your oblique, you know, which generally carries a little bit less, like it, it's a different feel for a lot of people. Um, and especially when you're lean, it, it like your skin doesn't have that, um, like you can actually pinch something, you know, and it's not just stretchy skin. Yeah. And I think that's, um, Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. I think that's one of those things you don't really know until you see it, um, and if you've been in that position. But yeah, the, just the feel of where like you carry fat just feels a little bit different. Like it doesn't have that sort of firm like granular feeling to it um like there is when there's extra fat to lose um but even then like if you're hypercritical like you can always find an area where there's some you know adipose tissue it's like there at some point like you are going to have to make that call if you're doing this and understand like okay this is chasing this extra you know this ounce of fat in this one location when the rest of my body you know is clearly you know, close to fat free, like that's, that's not going to be productive. So, um, so I, I think there, there is that, that look. And I, I think there's that point in prep for, you know, and I'm sure you've probably gone through it at this point where it's like, you, you start to flatten out to the point where it almost looks like you lose condition for a brief point in time. You know, it's like you, you, you're getting flatter, so muscles not pressing up as much against the skin, like you don't have as much separation and you almost look a little bit more watery, you know, the stress from the, the, yeah. the whole process, you know, cortisol levels can be significantly higher. You know, you're, you're carrying more water, which is, you know, you know, subcutaneous water, which is sort of exacerbating the fact that you're flat, you know, it, it and so you, you go through this phase where it's like, you look like you're smaller, but almost gaining 
like you're like recomping in the wrong direction for a brief <laughs> period, you know. And so, but you you have to. I think that's where it's important to understand like the some of the physiology and the mechanisms of what's actually going on there, um, because th- those parts are are tough to navigate as an athlete, um, because as soon as you maybe you have you know a refeed or you know some people have you know cheat meals and they they may look significantly better for a brief period of time after that. And they think, okay, like I need to, you know, I need more food, like I'm losing muscle. And I think that's, that's that stage where a lot of people fear that they're losing substantial amounts of muscle. Um, and I've just found like, for me, it, it just took trusting the process of getting through that, you know, and, and pushing through that knowing, okay, once I reintroduce food, you know, things are going to kind of come back to life. I'm going to fill out, um, you know, some of this, you know, water is, is going to, um, this retention is going to dissipate, you know, the diet fatigue is still going to be there. I mean, you're still very lean, but it's, it's going to be mitigated to a substantial degree. So, um, so yeah, getting to the point where I think, you know, I spent probably like four weeks that were just very, very tough, like in that period where I didn't look very good. Like I, I just felt very run down. And I think Berto uses the term, like someone just beat you up in an alley somewhere. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of, that's, that's how you feel mode. and how you look. <laughs> yeah. It, you just don't, you don't have a, your physique doesn't have any life to it, you know? Yeah. Um, so at that point, and I think about, I want to say like two weeks out from my first show. Um, Cause I, I, I was pushing fat loss pretty close up to my first show in September. And, uh, and then I spent, I think a week gradually getting up to maintenance a week or two that was, you know, slowly kind of ramping up to maintenance. Um, and I'll, I'll get into reasons for that in a minute, but then peak week was still very much like kind of coasting for that first show. Like there wasn't, it wasn't like a traditional like backload or, you know, front load deplete, and then, you know, backloading, it it wasn't anything, it was like, okay, let's gradually fill out, let's let some of these issues that have been operating in first gear start to, you know, partially resolve. And, um, you know, it really was kind of just managing things on a day to day basis, trying to get, you know, push more carbs in where I was able to. And if I started to spill sort of, you know, hold steady or pull back, cause you, you should have a general idea of where your maintenance levels are at that point. Anyway, just yeah. if you, you know, you can kind of look at the data, the rate of loss. And, um, so I, I knew that my maintenance was right around, you know, somewhere between like 28 to 3000 calories. And I was consuming about 2,300 at the end. Um, with, I I guess the other thing to mention is I was doing like four low days, three high. So it it wasn't, um, and that's, that's something I know the discussion on refeeds, um, you know, we've already kind of covered that, but I do think, um, at the end of that prep that that made a substantial difference for me. Um, and that's just comparing it to, you know, I've had preps where I would have like one cheat meal a week, that first show, you know, which like I didn't get lean enough for it anyway. And then, second prep um you know i still got pretty lean in my second prep but i was doing i think refeeds once or twice a week you know and and i think a lot of people look at refeeds through the lens of um you know mitigating metabolic adaptation and 
know, mitigating muscle loss and, you know, there's going to be scenarios where that's probably not going to be the case. If there, if there is a landscape where at least from the muscle preservation perspective that it can play a role, it's probably near the end of a prep with someone who's, you know, shredded. So it's, um, so I think for anything, you know, more than anything, like it, it started to provide insight into how like I would fill out. So it was like kind of practice for, um, you know, how efficiently these carbs were sort of starting to get stored, but also, um, you know, it was a psychological break and it was a way to start to kind of close the deficit gradually as I got leaner. Um, you know, I think I started at two refeeds and then added three. And I think maybe even at the end, like I started to close you know, I had like a fourth one, three low days, and then eventually all my days were kind of at maintenance. So, um, and then, you know, I would just, at that point, it's kind of based off of look anyway, right? So, um, so that, that helped. I, I think it, my training definitely improved once I started adding food back in. Um, you know, I still felt like I looked, you know, like it's still, it didn't help much there. I mean, it, it helped to a, probably more than it felt to be honest. Like it, I think, um, you know, if you look at like the numbers in that post that I made, like it, it doesn't make sense how I could really be maintaining weight off of that much more calories and that much less physical activity. In fact, I was a little bit lighter. And I think what happens, um, you know, I think the upregulation in meat, like, it's not necessarily upregulating it past where it would be in off season levels, but it's yeah. like you, you're you're so tanked that any small increase there can um, can help substantially. And I do remember, you know, just feeling, you know, like I could turn my head without it feeling exhausting. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I wasn't slouching as much. You know, and uh, you know, and I think those are things like even if you're keeping steps up can be. Um, things that sort of fly under your radar where you're start to conserve energy is those, those types yeah. of behaviors. You start sh shuffling your feet more than like the spring mm -hmm. your step goes. So now you yeah. get your spring back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that I think made a big difference. And then the other thing with weight, um, when you start to add calories back in is, you know, on paper, as you store more muscle glycogen, you're going to be storing more intracellular water. And so, I think a lot of people will, um, you know, will see weight increase when that happens. But I think in this, as long as you do it, and this is where things are a little bit theoretical. Um, if you want to kind of get into the, the idea of like incrementally increasing food versus like all at once is that, um, so I, I think, the idea of like, let, let's say my maintenance calories were 2,800 and I was consuming 2,300, you know, on average or, you know, on my low days. And then I were to just add 500 calories back in at once like that, that's going like, and I would see this with my refeeds. Um, I would see, like, I would, I would look spilled off of, you know, after that first or second day, I would, I would always look a little bit spilled, even though my refeeds were aiming to put me around maintenance. Um, and that always, it, sometimes that didn't make sense to me. It's like, okay, I shouldn't be spilled if I'm at maintenance, you yeah. know, like that. But 
when you think of it from the perspective of, um, you know, adding these calories back in, like it, it could still be your maintenance. And this is where I'm, it's a little bit, I'm not totally sure what's going on, but I think there's, there's some evidence that, you know, prolonged exposure to a, you know, lower carb environment, which is sort of inevitable, like lower carbs relative to what you were consuming. Um, you know, your, your ability and your efficiency in storing muscle glycogen is, is going to go down. And so, yeah. and, and this is something I, you know, I'm working with an athlete right now, um, Malcolm Cooper, who's, um, you know, prepping for his, his first WNBF uh, pro show, at the muscle mayhem. And he won his pro card earlier this year, but that's one thing. I might with know him, like we, I'm trying to think. I think you do follow him. I've is seen he, his name on Instagram is strength, like str- yeah, strength yeah. and, uh, yeah. I know Malcolm. Yeah. I know he's <laughs> strength he's, school and in. Yeah. Um, I always thought that was like a play on the Jersey shore, like the gym tan <laughs> and laundry, like it's strength. It's cause it says like strength tan and in. Like, what is it? <laughs> and he finally felt like an idiot once he told me, but, um, so he, uh, so he's somebody where we've had to, I think just naturally he, things get down, like his neat levels, like even if his activity's high, I think when he's sedentary, he's like sedentary. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, <he's> dead. <laughs> it's something where, you know, I think we, we've had to get pretty aggressive with him. Um, but I've noticed when we fill him out, like if, if I were throw, you know, a refeed at him, you know, that's sort of aggressive, he, it's almost like he, he looks flat still, but he's also more watery. And I think this is something like, that's I've seen a this. lot of athletes experience where yeah. and and it kind of makes sense if you consider like okay your your capacity for glycogen storage is your skeletal muscle like the more skeletal muscle you carry the the more glycogen you can you know store it's your fuel tank essentially but your ability and your efficiency of filling that and I guess if you want to use the term like assimilating these carbohydrates as they come in can be the rate limiting factor there and so um, so I think that that could sort of explain, and I don't know if that's related, you know, to glycolytic enzymes, perhaps being downregulated and needing time to upregulate, or if it's, um, you know, GLUT4, like that's influencing this, you know, the magnitude of, um, you know, GLUT4 that's, you know, transporting these carbs. I, I'm not sure exactly, but I do notice that as, for you know especially with me and with him i think we need to be you know especially conservative with this but um i wouldn't when i started to eat back into the show i deliberately took sort of slower like i didn't like tediously increase carbs like okay i'm going to increase three grams this day it was like okay let's let's do uh you know 100 calories or you know 80 calories from carbs you know let's increase 20 grams a day um and, and I think doing that, you know, I don't, there's no way of knowing for sure here, but I, I do feel like it was a smoother transition rather than if I just threw this like bolus of calories in all at once, which, you know, if you start, if you do that, then you, you know, you may look pretty watery at first, you know, especially if you're not efficient at, at storing those. Um, and that can be misleading. That can make you start to second guess yourself. And so I do think when, when it comes to, you know, that, 
the rate of adding these calories back in. In this scenario, I do like sort of a somewhat conservative approach. Um, whereas like with diet breaks, it's like I would rather just see in the off season or, you know, I'd rather just see someone go straight to what their estimated maintenance is. But I, I in this case with him um, and with myself, you know, adding these calories back in a little bit slower, um, you know, I was able to see the benefits once I got to that top end that I may not have been able to see had I just started with that amount. And it doesn't really have anything to do with, you know, metabolic changes. And it wasn't, you know, the strategy wasn't in place because of, you know, trying to upregulate metabolism. It was just like, okay, I want to get my body sort of used to this, this new amount of carbohydrate. Yeah. And, um, and so that, like, I speculate that that played a role. Um, and I was able to, is I added these carbs back in and started to gradually fill out, you know, stress levels started to come down. Um, extracellular water started to, to dissipate, um, or I should say, you know, subcutaneous, not necessarily extracellular, but, um, you know, I was sort of offsetting. It wasn't that the carbs were pulling water from the sub Q layer or anything like that, but you know, there, the, where this water was being stored eventually sort of got reallocated. And I think that's why, like in the photos on that post, I mean, I was actually a little bit lighter when I looked fuller and leaner and um, with substantially more food and less cardio. And so I think ultimately, you know, giving yourself that time, and I don't know if it need. I, you know, I don't think it needs to be you know, months necessarily. Um, you know, I think like in Dirk's situation, um, you know, I, I've talked with Berto a little bit about that. Um, and you know, he, he's already a pretty lean dude, you know, like he's, he's walking around pretty lean even before this. And so, um, for him, it's probably not as much of like a radical change and yeah, relatively, um, and also like with the unpredictability, you know, listening to the last podcast you did with them, um, you know, the unpredictability of the show landscape. I mean, I've had shows, I've had athletes this year, um, where shows have been, you know, canceled last minute or even moved up like the muscle mayhem, I think was originally supposed to be like two weeks later. And they're like, no, we're going to move it up two weeks. And so it's like, in those cases, you know, that that can only stand to help you know so he uh yeah so dirk i, I mean not everybody is probably going to need to be ready that early um but i think in his case it's like i do think it's the right call i mean especially if you if you know the athlete know their outlook if they're you know dying at that stage you know it's it it's one thing to consider. So everybody is going to be a little bit different, but the idea of giving yourself ample time to restart to reintroduce carbohydrate, I think is going to help more than it hinders. And I think you're, you're going to be in a better environment for maintaining muscle if you're peeled and eating at maintenance versus if you're dieting right into the show and, um, you know, like it, I think people, they associate like maintaining this look with maintaining the deficit, you know, and that's not necessarily the case. It's like, you're, you're kind of holding steady. Um, and you know, from there, like things should really only improve, um, you know, up to a point. Like I think eventually 
if your training does start to suffer, like you kind of run out of runway there where it's like, yeah, you may start to lose muscle if training is just in the toilet. But, you know, this helped my training substantially, you know, in hindsight, like it it made a big difference. Um, So, yeah. And I think the other thing too, you know, on the related to the training front, which I feel like doesn't get enough attention when it comes to bodybuilding in prep. It's like, you know, the, the whole process of programming and prep sometimes ends up being like, okay, do what you comfortably can, you know, get, get a adequate stimulus and then get out of there. Um, which I think there's, you know, the chasing performance deep into a prep can, there's disadvantages to that because, you know, managing expectations, like there's no reason to expect why performance would be improving at that stage. You know, it's like you could, bullshit yourself and convince yourself that you know you're getting stronger but chances are like if you're doing additional reps or additional load like you're you're probably either working harder or um you know there, there's you're breaking technique in order to log that extra rep in your logbook so um you know our, our leverages change our technique changes like and usually it's in a disadvantageous way, which in a sense can kind of, when you're talking about tension on the muscle can be a good thing because you can get away with using less load. Um, so I think, you know, the, it, it, as long as you're, you know, doing adequate volume, pushing close enough to failure, um, you know, most people will be okay, but being strategic with exercise selection and starting to manage the fatigue with, um, you know, within that variable of exercise selection is, is yeah. pretty important. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. Amazing. Yeah, I think you said a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, you said a lot of yeah. stuff and a lot of good stuff as well. <laughs> Uh, I like the, if I'm framing it where we've started off at a good kind of in reasonable nick in terms of just above 10% above stage weight, you've come down and you've utilized where you had kind of diet breaks due to competing uh, in powerlifting and things, Mm -hmm. but also kind of slowing your rate of loss via introducing additional refeed days, which again are giving you kind of a bit more data potentially for peaking Mm -hmm. and what's your carbohydrate tolerance and to kind of assess and I, I think this is going to be the hardest thing for most people is kind of assessing what is that look that is not, it's not a hundred percent because you need kind of the metabolic building phase or the reintroduction of carbohydrates for that hundred percent, but that like 95% or so look mm-hmm. where you're looking like there's, you can kind of see probably the details you're looking for, but it just all looks a bit washed out and blurry and the refeeds aren't even giving you the feedback of, oh, when I take mm-hmm. a couple of days of refeeding, I look hundred percent it's like uh, even yeah. those are something's not quite working right and i guess that's the point where probably it's the hardest point and where people aren't calling it where people are getting burnt by maybe being ready too early is they're mm-hmm. not calling it and they're continuing to push and they just kind of get worse whereas yeah. the people who and this i i asked on my instagram stories like who's like where do people lie with this and there weren't many people who replied because i don't think too many people get to this position but there was like starkly people that really did well with it and other mm-hmm. people who really didn't. And I wonder if it's just that that point where they can't catch it and it's hard to make yeah. that call. And maybe it is 
something you can do at that position is like you said, if your training is starting to like performance is dropping off, you're starting to feel really like beat up and not great. If you've only got like a month or a few weeks left, is it worth continuing to push or would you just do be better just dialing back? And bringing your physique yeah. a bit back to life. And even if you weren't, maybe it, you weren't in the position where you're going to get that 100%, but maybe you'll still look better than if you were to continue mm-hmm. to just drive yourself into the ground. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know if there's really a way to to know that without going through it. I mean, I yeah. think each prep, you know, competitors should be improving in some way with each prep in terms of strategy. I mean, their physique should be better from the off season. But, you know, part of the fun is kind of refining things, you know, as you go. Um, and so you may think like, okay, you know, if you kept pushing and you felt you came in a little too flat, um, you know, in the example you gave, it's like, okay, next time I know like, okay, this flatness, um, or this extra condition didn't really show necessarily because I ended up being a little bit flatter and then you can kind of refine that look. And so I think it's like, as much as we'd all like to nail our peak 100% of the time with every show, like even the times where we're, you know, 98% or 99% or even 95%, you know, it's, it's still data that we can use for, for subsequent, um, you know, peaks. And I think that's, you know, a, a good outlook to have with, with this process, because there's, there's a lot of unpredictability um, until you have that experience of you know with your physique or with you know a specific athlete's physique and so um so yeah i I agree i think it it, it's one of those things you know for me the hardest part was yeah feeling comfortable making that call to start bringing food back in um and so having somebody that's you know uh, has a trained eye that's not in your you know the you know in your position because you know we can be our own worst enemy in prep you know is certainly helpful and you know i have to give Berto a lot of credit for that because he he was the voice of reason there when i you know i was tempted to keep you know digging and digging um so that yeah that that was super beneficial you know i learned a lot through that um and i think there's things i could have still you know refined and done a little bit better um but you know i i will say like one thing, you know, I was looking back at that post that they made um, with Dirk and like some of the comments were, you know, okay, this is not a stress-free experience. Like this is going to be painful, you know, having done it and sort of been in a position where, okay, I was behind um, in my first prep, my second prep, I was, you know, substantially better you know by a long shot but you know i still i wasn't at like that truly like elite level of condition quite yet for at the time it was pretty good like 2012 conditioning versus you know now it's like you know it's it's crazy how you know bar keeps getting raised but um you know i can say like in terms of stress and how i felt i actually and some may think I'm BSing here, but I, I felt the most intact, like mentally and physically at the end of this last prep than I did in the other preps. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if some of that is, you know, those refeeds maybe mitigating some things like near the end. Like, I, I know there's not a lot of evidence, you know, right now, um, you know, in very lean bodybuilders, like how, how these things can, can impact. 
Um, but you know, I, I felt more hor- like hormonally intact as well, <laughs> you know, things, the markers there. And I, I, I felt, um, yeah, things just in some of this could be just the magnitude of the deficit on the way down was just more controlled as well. Um, but I think giving yourself some runway, at least in my experience, and I'm not saying this will be the case for everyone, giving yourself that additional runway, it only benefited me. Um, I didn't really feel like there was really any downside, to be honest, in in my personal experience. Um, not to say that there isn't, you know, there's always going to be pros and cons to everything. But, um, and, I, and I think like Berto would probably say the same thing. Like both of us at the end of that, that prep were, you know, large proponents of multi-day refeeds. Like it, it felt like a, a game changer near the end. And, you know, the role of those changes across a prep, you know, early on, it could just be for psychological reasons and balance and things like that. But, um, you know, training saw a pretty robust improvement, um, deeper into prep and like, you know, perhaps the argument could be made, like if you spread that same deficit across, you know, rather than four days across seven, would your training, you know, have suffered as much? Maybe not. Like, I I don't know the answer to that, but, um, I know having two days that were, or three days that were substantially higher in intake was, at least help nav like the psychological part at that point helped significantly. It's like, okay, I've got, you know, four days to push in those first couple days of that. I actually felt decent because I was coming off of three refeeds. So it really only felt like two days of like difficult, difficult prep, you know, each week. And so, um, so I think psychologically it just helped put me in a position to kind of keep pushing, which I think is sometimes overlooked. It's like, what, what environment can you place yourself in that's going to allow you to push to the point that you need to, you know, go because none of this is in a vacuum, you know, it's our outlook on the situation is going to have a direct impact on how, you know, our behavior. So for sure. One final question. I know uh, we're Mm -hmm. close to time. How in terms of once we're at that 95% and we're slowly, maybe you're, I don't know if you remove refeeds and just go for an average intake, for the week and then start building up but for that process regardless what sort of time period do you think is like how short well how long is too short or i guess as much time as you can have but uh, yeah how much time <laughs> that's kind of what you're, I'm you're talking about so, bringing food back up to maintenance yeah so i um you know i i think and i guess there's there's some evidence for this i mean you look at people like that are car bloating for endurance races um you know they have this high intake then they deplete and then they you know reload and and so there's some evidence like this increased intake in the short term can upregulate your ability to store glycogen you know once you deplete and then follow back up um so i don't think it's like on a weekly time scale i think the difference um between you know a week and two weeks is going to be pretty minimal so i you know for me i think i personally brought myself back up across i think like five or seven days like it was um and and when when you only have i mean if you're in a 400 calorie or 500 calorie average daily deficit i mean that comes out to you know 25 carbs a day essentially you know or 20 carbs a day across the week and so it's um 
it just kind of worked out that way. And I, at the time, like it was, I'd be lying if I said it was like super calculated or based on anything. It was, it was like, okay, I don't, I have a hard time believing like I can only manage these five grand increases. Like 20 seems very reasonable. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I started there and then, you know, it didn't take long to, to close it. And for me, it worked out. And I think we're, as more and more people go about peaking this way, um, we're going to learn a lot more. Like yeah. there's, there's a lot that I've mentioned that I don't know, you know, I, I just don't know, um, you know, why it worked necessarily the way it did. Um, you know, I have some speculation, but you know, this is an area that hasn't really been explored much, even anecdotally at yeah. this point, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's only going to, I guess, get refined from here, but, you know, for me, bringing it up across a week, um, and like, I, you know, I have a couple athletes, I have one, um, I have Malcolm, then I have, um, this guy Frederick in Germany, who's like in a really good spot to hit like that two week out mark, um, for his first show. And the plan is to like, okay, let's bring you up to maintenance across that week, assess your look. And, and you want to base it, you know, you still want to, like I say, across a week, but if you, if you had 20 carbs and someone looks like they're not as sharp, it's like, okay, maybe back off and go a little bit more conservative, you know? Right. So you still want to be reactionary with it. But, um, you know, for him, the plan is like, okay, over two weeks out, let's bring you up to maintenance. That way we're kind of cruising it, you know, that final week and we can just make small adjustments each day. And I think the other thing with this is, that, that makes, I think some people a little bit apprehensive is it kind of removes some of the utility of some of the traditional peaking methods, because it's like, you know, you're, you're doing this, you're not really front loading if you're already full, you know, and it's like, you're like what it you're at this point, like if you've done it for long enough, if you've been walking around looking stage ready for a couple of weeks or, you know, a full week, it's like, is it really worth the gamble to try to get that tiny extra bit, you know, and try to, you know, deplete and then super compensate when you're already very full yeah. and, you know, quote unquote, dry looking. So, um, so for me, like it, it may be like a subtle front load, maybe, but it's, you know, I, at that point you're at maintenance, like you don't really want to put someone in a surplus in peak week either, you know? So it's, um, so I think that's where like teasing it out, like, can we get any additional, you know, small improvements with manipulations within peak week? Um, and I think there, there can be areas where you can, I mean, I think, you know, um, you know, the day of still having like higher sodium intake, you know, in the morning, just to kind of get that, um, help facilitate a good pump. I, I mean, I think things like that can make a big yeah. difference. Um, but if you're point being like, if you're cruising in I, the, the lack of moving parts on peak week sometimes makes people a little uneasy, you know, and it's like, okay, we're just going to kind of take things day to day. And if you yeah. don't have a plan on a spreadsheet, it's like, I can like, you know, I, I can put, put you at maintenance numbers on a spreadsheet for the whole week like if that would help you and then we'll, we'll adjust but it's like it, it, at that point it is very um reactionary and i think that's kind of how proper peak should go really um 
you just think described. It's definitely a step away. Oh. Exactly. Like it's oh, definitely gonna... a step away from the conventional way to do it. Yeah. You've just described exactly how I've peaked this week. I've got a show mm-hmm. in a couple of days and I basically walked my carbs up 400, 450, 500, 550, mm-hmm. 600 today. And I'm like, wow, like I'm just looking better. <laughs> like this yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but I'm not at the point where you're going to talk about where you transition to basically holding maintenance. I need to go back down to get get some more of these glutes in and things like okay. this. So okay. I, I'm excited. Well, I for mean, that. it's it's good to know that you're. I mean, this is good data for you to have because it's yeah. like if you're increasing carbs at this point, you know, in in those increments. I mean, if you're looking better every day, then I wouldn't go more conservative. You know, it's like you if you can get away with 50 gram increases and look better the next day, like do it. Yeah. Um, so that's great. That's I'm excited for you, man. It's it, you. your off season has been uh, it's been inspiring because you've you've made a lot of really impressive progress um, for that. someone. You know, with your you've got a decent amount of training experience under your belt, and I think you know just the the consistency is. Um, you know, I think in natural bodybuilding, you know, we hear these stats of you know slow, these slow rates of muscle growth, and yeah. I think sometimes we sort of handicap ourselves into this belief of, you know, yeah. okay, I'm only going to gain this much. And, um, you know, I think when you nail all the variables, you know, like you have, like we can surprise ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's very evident. So I appreciate uh, that. A lot. Yeah. I'm looking forward. Is this a pro qualifier that you have? This one is just a qualifier for the finals. Uh, okay. and then we have a British finals and then think if you win that you go pro it's super tough in the uk to go pro yeah so the chances is, are, is it the wnbf this is, is the it? uk the fba and then at the moment we've only got one show for the wnbf so that's the there's no qualifiers yeah. it's just you go in there and that's their pro qualifier so okay it, well, it all depends who turns up on the day <laughs> exactly i mean that's ultimately it's like you can only control what you're doing so it's um yeah, and if you empty the tank on this prep, which you're going to, it's you'll leave that's content. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's that's all you can do. So, um, but yeah, well, I appreciate it, Steve. Um, it was fun, kind of. I haven't talked much about that prep in that much detail, so it's yeah, it gives me some stuff to think about too. And I'm excited to see, you know, the bar continue to get raised within this sport, like it has in powerlifting. You know, yes, yeah. it's, it's been this exponential rise and um yeah i think that idea of looking over dieted heading into a show i think is this helps sort of get away from that because you gain back some of that fullness so but uh yeah fantastic brian i want to say a massive thank you Uh, it's always a great chat with you and uh, i'm glad we managed to have this and for the listeners uh definitely go check brian out uh, I'm going to just say it, BD Miner over on Instagram. And you can go find, if you scroll through, I scroll through, there's loads of posts. Uh, I love it when competitors share their prep because then you can like, it's like a great mm-hmm. resource to go and kind yeah. of dig in and see what's going on there. So there is some great stuff there from Brian. Um, and then Myo Journal, I think is where they should mm-hmm. head if they want to get in touch for coaching or anything like that. Yeah, I'll make sure that's all linked below so you guys can go check them out. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it again. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Steve. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. 
who Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people, uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is gonna be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there, you can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. It's also gonna be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We cap them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.